when we're hiring somebody or when we're putting somebody in a position of leadership, we need to make certain it's because they exhibit leadership qualities, not because they're good at the technical skills involved in doing the work. And also we need to have a conversation with them about what it is that really drives them so that we're making certain that we're aligning their tasks with their core motivations. That's how we bring deeper engagement. And it's frankly, it's how we retain talented people. We're in the midst of the great resignation right now is what they're calling it. So many people talked about leaving their jobs. We'll see what happens. So many people are talking about leaving their jobs. I don't think that has much to do with the technical tasks that people are doing. I think it has more to do with the fact that organizations don't understand what it is that drives and engages the people that work for them. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Todd Henry. Todd, he positions himself as an arms dealer for the creative revolution. Todd teaches leaders and organizations how to establish practices that lead to everyday brilliance. He's the author of five books, The Accidental Creative, Die Empty, Louder Than Words, Hurting Tigers, and the book that we dive into today, The Motivation Code. His podcast, The Accidental Creative, has over 10 million downloads. That blows my mind. He gives weekly tips for how to stay prolific, brilliant, and healthy. And his book, Die Empty, was actually named Amazon.com's best book of 2013. And the motivation code, which we dive into, is all about the hidden force that drives deep engagement and brilliant work. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Todd Henry. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. DirectClicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the DirectClicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you ready to get out of the daily rut and begin working at your highest level? Coach P Consulting will help you do just that using the same strategies he did to sell over 500 life insurance policies in 2020 and own track for over 600 life insurance policies in 2021. No, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look at the behind the scenes team training and an office performing at the highest level. Coach P currently has a 100% retention rate for everyone who joins. And hey, those numbers speak for themselves. Coach P will train your team alongside his own to show you the exact steps they are taking to achieve chairman circle in two agencies, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club. 
So whether your goal is to be the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and tactics to get you there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level. His strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get 50% off your first month of coaching when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Again, that's coachpconsulting.com. Todd Henry, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. It's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. So we always start with background and origin stories. So for people that are not familiar with your podcast or familiar with your books, why don't you tell them a little bit about kind of your backstory and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So I studied marketing in school, spent a little bit of time in the music business, and then ended up sort of a winding path, ended up as a creative director for an organization where I led teams of designers and writers and videographers and whatnot, and spent several years doing that. And in the midst of my time as a creative director, realized there are some patterns that exist within people who seem to be able to do this really well and be able to thrive consistently, even in the face of pressure. And there are definitely some patterns in the lives of people who seem to burn out pretty consistently. And so mm -hmm. in 2005, I started a podcast called The Accidental Creative. Yes, 2005. And the funny thing is, and I thought I was really late to the game in 2005, which is hilarious, you know, in <laughs> retrospect. I think podcasting had been around for a whole, like maybe nine months at that point or something. And I thought, man, I'm so late to the game. Anyway, so started this podcast Wow. And it got a bunch of listeners pretty quickly was featured on iTunes at the time and just started really gaining some traction. And so over the course of the next handful of years, I was invited to come and teach and train and speak at different organizations and events and whatnot and realized, I think this is actually a business. I realized I've kind of stumbled into something here, helping people be what I call prolific, brilliant and healthy all at the same time. And so probably like a lot of the small business owners that listen to this, I found something that seemed to be working and I put some energy into it and spent mornings and evenings building it and then made the leap and got an offer of a book deal from Penguin Random House for my first book, The Accidental Creative, which came out in 2011. And then subsequently for my book, Die Empty, which was 2013 and Louder Than Words, which is 2015 and Hurting Tigers, which is 2018. And then the new book, The Motivation Code, which came out at the perfect time, right in the heart of the global pandemic and a month before the most contentious presidential election in the US of my lifetime, for sure. It was a great time to launch a book, let me say. So the Motivation Code came out last year and I spend my days on the road, theoretically, in non-pandemic times, helping people and organizations be prolific, brilliant, and healthy. Well, to say that you have definitely lived out what it is that you share with others, being prolific for the books that you put out at such an incredible pace and the podcast, et cetera. So for all of you, we're going to put links in the show notes and obviously in our email to our listening audience to definitely check out his podcast, Accidental Creative. It's one of my absolute go-tos. Todd, I want to ask around what was the genesis around writing The Motivation Code? Admittedly, I was walking through Barnes & Noble. Our listeners know I love to read. And your book was being featured. I think it was on an end cap, if I'm not mistaken. And I thought, Motivation Code, that's interesting. I've actually heard, and I'm going to ask you this question later, about motivation can be fleeting at times. Right. So I was like, well, I'm really interested to hear what this book has to say. Obviously, not at all what I was expecting. I was blown away. But that being said, what was the genesis of where the thought about writing this book came from? So I first came across the research that 
forms the backbone of the motivation code in 2016, a friend of mine, Rod Penner, who actually was a co-author on the book, he helped pull together the research for the book, told me about this work that he'd been doing within the organization that had been researching motivation for 50 years. And I thought, okay, well, 50 years, that's pretty substantial. So let me hear what you've been doing. And apparently over the course of that 50 years, they had distilled motivation into what they called 27 unique themes of motivation. And right around 2009, I believe they put together an assessment to help people begin to identify which of those themes were present and active in some of their most meaningful achievements and accomplishments. And so Rod asked me to take this assessment in 2016, and I was absolutely blown away by how accurate it was, first of all, but also what it told me about myself that I always suspected but didn't really have words for. So he wanted me to work with them on writing a book about this research. And unfortunately, I was already in the midst of writing my fourth book, Herding Tigers, at the time. And so I couldn't really work with them formally on a book, but I continued to stay in touch with them. And we began to sort of formulate plans for what a future collaboration might look like. So then when Herding Tigers came out, it was time to write the next book. It became pretty obvious this was going to be the book that I needed to write. And it's pretty exciting. We've basically parsed over a million achievement stories. I think at this point, close to 200,000 people have been through the Motivation Code Assessment. We've parsed about a million achievement stories looking for common language that describes in people's own words what those moments of achievement in their life feel like. And as I mentioned, there are about, well, there are exactly 27 different ways that people tend to talk about those moments of achievement. And that's basically the foundation of all of this work. And again, based on over 50 years of research of people from all different professions, different levels of leadership within organizations, far and wide, different types of industries. And these commonalities hold together regardless of where we seem to look. You know, I think that we all have our own experiences about things, but whenever you look at 100,000 people, 50 years of research, and in the back of the book, you talk about how extensive the research was. I mean, that gives you something to say, you know what, you've actually got to really pay attention to what this is and what it's telling you. I took it and I thought it was absolutely spot on for me. My top three were explore, meet the challenge and demonstrate new learning, mm -hmm. which absolutely described me, but I would have never, similar to you, been able to put it in those three ways. Talk about the difference in the 27 motivational themes, but also you categorize it down into six motivational families. Right. Yeah. So really quickly, you know, a lot of assessments, and this is something I've always had a hard time with assessments is they come in with some preconceived ideas and most assessments mm -hmm. try to force you into a couple of boxes. And they do that by asking you binary questions. Are you this or are you that? Right. And the problem with that, and I think we're starting to see a lot of backlash in, especially in HR tech and, you know, some of the industries that have used some of these assessments over time is that you're basically categorizing people based upon their responses to a binary question and humans are not binary, right? There's all kinds of nuance in our experience of life. And so what I love about the motivation code specifically is that there are 17,550 possible combinations of top three motivations when you account for order. And what that means is that 
the likelihood of you and the person sitting in a meeting with you being motivated exactly the same way are pretty slim. So it's powerful when you understand how to speak somebody's motivational language. So these 27 themes that we talked about break down into loosely into what we call six families. And the reason we call them families instead of categories or some other compartmentalizing language is because just like a family, they tend to share a little bit of DNA but they're very different in terms of how they play out in life and in work. So for example, you have two of your top three that fall into what we call the learner family, right? You have explore and you have demonstrate new learning. Well, the explore motivation is all about going out and finding new things and learning new things and trying new things. And I mean, you're even right now we're being, I'm being interviewed from a hotel room. Like you're actually out, like you're someplace, right? You're out doing things, you know, explore. People love to explore the world around them. They love to ask questions. They love to encounter new things, have new experiences. If it's the same old, same old, they're not satisfied. They, they want something new. They want to go out and find something new and demonstrate new learning, which also is one of your top three is in the learner family as well. But it's very different in that the fundamental motivation is not the learning itself. It's about demonstrating that learning to other people. It's about showing other people what you've learned. That's where the satisfaction comes from, right? So very similar motivations in that they both are kind of in that learning space, but one of them is all about the questions and exploring and going out and trying new things. The other one's all about the practical application of what you've gone out and explored, which is demonstrate new learning. Now, your number two is meet the challenge. And meet the challenge is actually one of my top motivations as well. And this is a really interesting motivation. This actually falls in the achiever family of motivations. And what's interesting about meet the challenge is that you will seek a challenge when one isn't present. And if one isn't present, you will invent a challenge in order to make something feel engaging to you. One of the ways that sometimes happens is, and I'll attest to this, sometimes you might wait a little too long to start a project, like a little too close to the deadline, because you know that it's going to be more challenging that way. And it feels more exciting to you. And you're not thinking this consciously, right? It's an innate motivational driver that thinks, well, I can probably get this done in two days. Actually, it'd be kind of fun to see if I could get this done in two days, right? There's this little voice inside your head that's saying things like this. And so this is one of what we call the shadow side elements of this motivation. And the way I've learned to deal with this is, you know, I, I mean, I write books, you know, I write long form books. As a matter of fact, I just wrote a new manuscript. It was about a hundred thousand words in 90 days, which is more than I've ever written for any book ever in my life. It's about twice as long as most of my books in about a third of the time that I normally take to write a book. The reason that project was appealing to me is because of this meet the challenge motivation, right? Mm -hmm. It was setting daily challenges that I could tackle that would keep me engaged. It was hard. It was really, really hard, but I felt very gratified when I hit my deadline, which I did. I hit the deadline on the day because mm. I had established challenges along the way to help me know how I was making progress, but also to keep me engaged. Because otherwise, I would wait until a month before and start writing the manuscript, right? Because that would feel yeah. more challenging me, but setting these little daily challenges kept me engaged along the way. So that's an example of meet the challenge and how that plays out. Does that resonate by the way? I'm just curious. Are you kidding? You just described me. 
I mean, for our listening audience, we didn't talk before this at all. He didn't know what my top three were until right whenever I shared with him on the podcast. And so you nailed it. I mean, I'm one of those people that look at those who say, like I remember in college when I was at Auburn, is that they would say, okay, you've got to get this paper done in two weeks, right? And then there were people in the class that would start it immediately. They'd start it the yeah. night before. And I was always like, that's a really good idea. I should start that paper like right now. But I right. never would. I'd started at like 10 o'clock the night before it was due and I would get it done. And that's carried over into my professional career as well. So you absolutely nailed it. Hey, have you ever watched the documentary on Netflix, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan? I've not, but go ahead. I'm curious what you're going to say. I have a sense of where you're going with this, but go ahead. I'd love to hear what you're going to say. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a State Farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com. And be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. There were a few stories. So I grew up in the Jordan era. I yeah. just turned 40 this year. And so we can have the LeBron and Michael Jordan debate another time. But so I grew Jordan. up in the Jordan era. And so I was able, yeah, it is Jordan. But <laughs> uh, I'll probably get a lot, of, a lot of hate from that. But so watching that documentary, we get a peek behind the scenes of things that we didn't get necessarily to see. And in particular, Jordan, there's multiple stories where he would make up this story in his mind. One of the most mm -hmm. famous was that some guy early in his career scored like 36 points for the game. And Jordan told everybody that he said, hey, MJ, good game. And then the next night they played them in a back-to-back -back, and MJ scored 36 in the first half. Well, come to right. find out that story never happened. Okay. He right. didn't actually do that. He just made it up in his mind as a challenger. And so that's what makes me think about whenever you say meet the challenge. Yeah. So I think if I had to guess, and this is what's really fun is having now been a part of this research for a while, I can look at things people say and observe people's lives and say, I can probably guess at least maybe your top couple or at least a couple motivations that are in your top five based upon what I observe from your life. Yep. But with Michael Jordan, I think he probably was driven by something we call overcome. Overcome is a motivation that forces you into the underdog position 
often. And he even said this in the documentary, if I'm not mistaken, that he always had to have an enemy basically to overcome. He always had to have somebody that he was working against. And even if you look at his Hall of Fame enshrinement speech, you know, when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he brought back people throughout his life, including his high school coach who chose another kid over him his sophomore year for the varsity team. And basically it was like, you see, you see, you should have chosen me. You see, look, here I am. And if it wasn't for you not choosing me, I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But you should have chosen me because I'm in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it was basically him sort of airing all of his grievances from years. And you would think as one of, if not the greatest player of all time, being inducted in the Hall of Fame, you would think like by now that would have been satisfied. That would have been satiated. Like, okay, I guess I'm pretty good. I don't need to invent these enemies anymore. It seems to be the way that he drives himself is this overcome thing. And so one of the challenges for somebody driven by overcome is that, as you mentioned, we will invent enemies where they don't exist. We always have to have a Goliath to take on and we're always in the role of David. And so sometimes in organizations, when everything's going really well, the way this plays out is somebody suddenly takes issue with something going on in the organization. They have to raise a stink over it and they have to be on this sort of crusade to eliminate something in the organization. Well, where did that come from? Well, quite frankly, they don't have anything in their work right now that feels like an enemy or like a challenge to overcome. And so they're inventing enemies. They're tilting at windmills. And so this is something I think that we have to be very mindful of. Motivation is a gift. Every motivation is a gift. And with that gift comes a corresponding shadow side. And the shadow side, in some cases, can drive you to really unhealthy behavior. In Michael Jordan's case, I think it probably propelled him to new heights because he worked harder. I mean, everybody talks about how hard of a worker he was. I think part of that is he felt compelled by these narratives in his head, but it also can consume you to the point where you're never satisfied. You know, I write later in the book, The Motivation Code, about the difference between clean and dirty fuels. Some fuels burn clean and some fuels burn dirty. And if you're constantly motivated by revenge and getting your way and getting back, that burns dirty. It leaves residue on you and everybody around you. So that motivation has to be tempered. And if it isn't, then you can do a lot of damage. You can leave a lot of hurt people in your wake. That's so true. I mentioned earlier about, and many people know I'm in the SEC country, and it does make you wonder about someone like Coach Saban, who has just mm-hmm. seemingly has this endless amount of drive. And you wonder, like, man, where's the shadow side? Because, I mean, you know, what is that for him? And who knows exactly what that is? And there's no reason, per se, to speculate. But sometimes you wonder, it's like, that's an obsessive disposition to have all the time for all of these years. I mean, one multiple national championships continues to win at the highest level and seemingly never stops. Now as an Auburn fan, I wish he would stop and retire, but you know, um, <laughs> well, my, my the, oldest is at the university of Alabama right now. So for his sake, but you know, what's interesting is, and sorry about that as you know, as an Auburn guy, I, I hesitate to confess that, but I have to say there are people who figure out how to channel their motivation in a healthy way and operate within their motivation code in a healthy way. And, you know, Nick Saban is a good example because, yeah, I mean, he obviously eats, breathes, lives football. I mean, that program is a machine, right? It is very much a machine. I would love to know what his motivational drivers are because he has really built, he has established, which is one of our motivations, something that just continues to run like a machine over and over and over, year in, year out. And truthfully, most programs like that you start to catch a whiff of like something unsavory going on or there's something and you really haven't heard anything like that out of Alabama, which is pretty remarkable, which points me to 
the other part of it, which is he's also very active in the charitable community. He's got a lot going on. I mean, he's really a leader in the community in Tuscaloosa in a lot of ways. You don't see a lot of football coaches doing that who are you know, super big. I mean, they'll do like a commercial or they'll like lend their name to something, but he's really active and his family. is So again, I think when we start talking about motivation, it's not just how it applies to your job, it's about how it applies to your life. And if you build a portfolio of passion centered around those core motivations, it is possible to for it to seem like you have a never-ending well of energy because you're constantly operating within what naturally drives you. That's good points. What are your thoughts around, I kind of teased this earlier, around that people have said motivation is fleeting. I think I one time heard like, oh, you don't need motivation. You need inspiration, right? What would you say to that? I think that's a misunderstanding of what motivation is. Motivation is ever present in our life. Everything is motivated behavior. If you decide right now you're going to hang up this call and go play video games or something, that's motivated behavior. And somebody might say, well, that person must just not be motivated. Well, no, you're motivated. You're just motivated to go play video games. Or maybe your meet the challenge motivation is kicking in and you're like, I need to go top my high score or whatever, right? We tend to categorize motivation according to how it benefits us. So if you have an employee, for example, who shows up late to work, who doesn't turn in work on time, who doesn't engage in customer service interactions in a healthy and effective way, you could say, well, that person just isn't motivated. No, they're motivated. They're getting something out of their behavior. It's just not motivating them to do the kinds of behavior that are helpful to us and to the business. And so if we understand what they're wired for. I mean, I I encounter this all the time with people who are leading younger people in the workforce, people who are just out of school. And they'll say to me all the time, like, I can't get them to do what I want them to do. And I'll say, well, help me understand. So, well, it's not that they're lazy. They will work night and day for two weeks around the clock to deliver a project that I didn't ask them for. But then I ask them to do something and it takes them forever to do it. And it's never the quality I want it to be. So they're not lazy because they're putting in all kinds of crazy effort that I wouldn't even put in to do something that really isn't all that important to me. And I'll say, well, what you're discovering is that there's something that project that they're working on is giving them that the other work you're telling them to do isn't giving them. How can you reframe that work so that it's in line with what naturally motivates them? So for example, maybe that other work is work that requires them to optimize or to solve problems, to make sure things are running effectively. Maybe it's work that allows them to be central to the conversation in the organization, which is another one of our motivational themes. Whereas this other work you need them to do is work that keeps them pretty far out to the periphery of the work that's going on. Well, is there a way you can involve them in more of the decision-making conversations on that project instead of pushing them out to the periphery? It doesn't mean they get to make the decisions. They just want to be close to where the decisions are being made, right? It could be something as simple as that that suddenly engages them and now they're locked in and they'll give you their full effort. So my problem with that statement of motivation is fleeting is that it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what motivation is. Every behavior is motivated behavior. You're getting something out of everything you do. The question is, what are you getting and how can you turn that towards something more productive? One of the things that just made me think about is a lot of our listening audience with their teams will have a salesperson that's highly producing, doing incredibly well, has demonstrated an ability, a capacity 
to produce at a high level. And so they say, and this is great. I'm going to put this person in the sales management role and it flames out. It just doesn't work. And they're like, well, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And that's one of the first things that came to mind as you were talking through that is that ultimately the environment that they're in is just not the same. And the decisions that they're making, they're just not motivated the same as they were in a full-time producing role. That's right. Yeah. Doing the work and leading the work are fundamentally different things. And we often conflate these things or we think, oh, somebody's such a good producer, they should be leading other people who are producing. Well, that's a very, very different skill set, very different mindset, very different reward structure. And I don't mean financial rewards. I mean, the emotional and motivational rewards that you get when you're leading people. So yeah. Maybe somebody who's a great producer, maybe collaborate is really, really low on their list of motivations, which is another one of our motivations. But when you're leading, it's all about the people. And frankly, when they're out there on their own doing the work, they love it because they get to be out there on their own. They're doing their own thing. They're setting their own schedule. They're achieving. They're excelling. They're showing that they're better than everybody else. Well, you don't want somebody driven, for example, by excel if that excel motivation means proving that you're better than others which it sometimes does if that's what the way that they're motivated you don't want that person in a leadership role because what are they going to do they're going to control the work they're going to step in and they're going to try to control the work to show that they're better than the people they're leading well what's that going to do to team morale that's the antithesis of what you want in a leader which is somebody who leads by influence not by control so this is why we have to be careful as small business owners When we're hiring somebody or when we're putting somebody in a position of leadership, we need to make certain it's because they exhibit leadership qualities, not because they're good at the technical skills involved in doing the work. And also, we need to have a conversation with them about what it is that really drives them so that we're making certain that we're aligning their tasks with their core motivations. That's how we bring deeper engagement. And it's frankly, it's how we retain talented people. We're in the midst of the great resignation right now is what they're calling it. So many people talked about leaving their jobs. We'll see what happens. So many people are talking about leaving their jobs. I don't think that has much to do with the technical tasks that people are doing. I think it has more to do with the fact that organizations don't understand what it is that drives and engages the people that work for them. And if we figured that out and we're able to speak their motivational language, I think it would completely change the calculus. I really hope that our listening audience goes back and listen to what you just said over the last two or three minutes, because turnover in any business, but turnover and their teams are so important. And so many people struggle with that. And I think what you mentioned there about aligning tasks with motivations, mm-hmm. boy, that is a really key takeaway from me. Todd, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We're going to jump into E9 Rapid Fire really quick. But before we do that, somebody wants to reach out to you, find out about your work, and obviously take the motivation code assessment themselves and for their teams, where would you point them to? So you can learn about me and all my books, my work at toddhenry.com. That's my personal site. You can also learn about motivation code at motivationcode.com. That's where the assessment, we have certification. If people want to get certified and practice M code and teach it to others, send other people through the assessment, all of those kinds of things. You can do all of that at motivationcode.com. Last book that you read. Well, the book that I'm in the midst of right now is Be Like Walt, which is a book about Walt Disney. It's sitting right beside my uh, little chair here in my office. I love Walt Disney. I have a framed copy of the 1957 Walt Disney business plan hanging on my wall because Walt Disney built everything around the idea factory of the studio, which I love. So anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. I can't tell you if it's a great book, but it's the book I'm in the midst of. What is the book that you would recommend the most to other leaders and business owners? The book I've probably recommended the most is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. 
Viktor Frankl was a psychoanalyst, I think is the right way to describe his work, who lived through World War II, was in a concentration camp, lost most of his family, lost his life's work in the midst of World War II as well. And then on the other side of it, wrote this unbelievable book about the search for meaning in life. And basically to summarize much of what he says, which I hate to do, but to summarize much of what he says, he says, we need to stop asking what we want out of life and start asking what life wants out of us. And when we start asking that question, it completely changes the way we see our place in the world. A phenomenal book. What's your favorite tech tool or app that you use every day? I use GoodNotes on my iPad to take notes and journal and do all that kind of stuff. And I use OmniFocus to organize all my tasks and I have for years and years and years and years and I absolutely love it and could not live without it. All right, I have not tried OmniFocus. I've heard about it. I do love GoodNotes on my iPad. It's fantastic. Yeah, OmniFocus is a little bit expensive to get into the ecosystem if you're gonna do it on all of your devices, but it's the best task manager I've ever encountered. All right. I'm going to check it out. What is one thing that you learned the most about yourself during the pandemic? The one thing I learned the most about myself during the pandemic is, well, so, okay, so our family has two mantras that we've been living by over the course of the pandemic. The first one is you can do hard things or we can do hard things. I mean, this has been, I mean, for somebody who primarily, my business is primarily live events. It's going out, speaking at companies, speaking at events. I mean, one of the last events I spoke at before the pandemic was for 405,000 people gathered at sites around the world. There were like 10,000 people in the room. So to go from that to now I'm staring in a camera all day, you know, looking at people in little squares on Zoom, trying to somehow teach them. It was really hard, quite frankly. And one of my top motivational themes is influence behavior, which means I want to see people nodding, I want to see people smiling, I want to hear them laughing. So it's weird to not be in a room with people. So we can do hard things. It's something our family has adopted. And then the second mantra we've been living by is this is going to end. I think that I've learned what we need to survive and I've learned sort of how to adapt. I'm doing things now that I never would have done prior to the pandemic, things like doing virtual presentations because it cannibalizes your main business, right? When your business is being in person with people, doing a virtual event cannibalizes that main revenue stream. But now I'm realizing, wow, this is actually a really great innovation that's probably going to stick around for a long time. So I'm grateful that I've had to innovate and figure out new ways of doing my work. Love that your family adopted those mantras to live by during this. Our My kid's school actually has one of their mantras is we do hard things as well. So I love that. Mm, I love that. It's great. Would you love to sit next to on a 10-hour flight, dead or alive? Well, we'll take like religious figures off. So we'll take Jesus off the plate because that's just too easy of a pat answer to go right. to, right? But I would say Abraham Lincoln, but he was kind of a depressive guy. So I don't know if he'd be great for 10 hours. <laughs> you know, truthfully, I probably would say, this is going to be a weird answer, but I would say probably Steve Jobs. Oh, no, Having I don't think that's weird at all. Watched and followed his career since the 1970s. I mean, the guy basically saw the complete invention and transformation of an industry that I think caused our world to leap forward at such a new vector. You know, the advance of computing technology over the last 50 years has taken us to places that we never could have envisioned in the 1940s and 50s. And so I would just love to just ask him questions about, do you have any regrets about what you did at all? If you could do it over again, what might you do differently? Just ask him from his 
poised position. What do you see as the legacy good and bad of all of the work that you and all of your cohorts did for all these years? I think it's a great one. You know, one of our mantras of my company is called Make a Difference, but that's really a play off of what Steve Jobs said in his Stanford commencement address where he said, make a dent. And then there's a great book, Trillion Dollar Coach, that talks about whenever he would take walks with Steve Jobs around the Apple campus. And so whenever you were saying that, it made me think, yeah, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to go back and have one of those walks with Steve Jobs and to see how he was processing things at the time? I think it's yeah, great. Yeah. When you're not working, what do you love to do? I make music. I mentioned I was in the music business early on. And so I've been really, that's another thing that happened during COVID is I started writing songs again for the first time in like 15 years. And so for the last, really since a year ago, January, well, no, take it back a year ago, March, I've been writing a ton of songs, which has been really fun. One place in the world that you've never been, but you'd love to visit. I think I would like to go to Italy. I've not been to Italy. I've been to a lot of other countries, but I've never been to Italy. So I think I would like to experience Italy at some point. Florence, Italy is incredibly underrated. Venice, mm. a little overrated. Mm. I've heard the same. What is, uh, if there was going to be a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you in that movie? <laughs> that, boy, that is a tough question. I wish I'd had these in advance because that's a tricky one. Who would I want to play me in a movie? Maybe Edward Norton, maybe? I don't know why that name came to mind, but that's kind of a really weird answer. <laughs> and that's one has not been said on the podcast thus far. So you got a new one in there. Most people say name? Tom that's Cruise, name, Matthew right? McConaughey, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, it's I think, yeah, I think he's, he's a brilliant actor and, yeah. you know, he's kind of a serious guy, but he can kind of have like a sarcastic sense of humor. And yeah, so. All right, last question. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? The best leadership advice I've ever received is get your reps in. We expect to be able to do things well the first time we do them. And the reality is all leaders have to develop their chops over time. They have to develop their leadership skills over time, which means doing things, building things, sometimes breaking things, and then taking accountability for it when you do. So I think get your reps in was definitely one of them. But as I'm saying this, a different piece of advice came to mind. Can I share that different piece of advice? Of course. Um, so speaking a year and a half ago at Air Command College down in Air University, which is for senior Air Force officers. And one of the other speakers was a general, an army general actually, who was the army chief of staff during the Iraq war. And he came up to me in the green room and I was eating a blueberry muffin or something that turned around and here's this general standing in front of me. I think I spit blueberry muffin all over him. I felt really bad. You know, I was so surprised to see him there. And he said, what's the most important thing I should know about creativity? Cause that's kind of my area of expertise. And I said something, I don't even remember what I said, but I did have the wherewithal to say, general, what's the most important thing I should know about leadership? And he said, without even thinking about it, he said, you need people in your life to speak truth to you well before you realize you need people in your life to speak truth to you. By the time you realize you need them, it's probably too late. And I thought that was brilliant advice. If you don't have people in your life speaking truth to you, you're on a dangerous path because you are going to miss what's plain and obvious right under your nose. You're gonna have people telling you things that make you feel good, but don't necessarily do good for the organization. So that's probably the best advice. That is fantastic. I had the pleasure, if you don't mind me telling this quick story, I had the pleasure of interviewing General Stanley McChrystal mm. and his interview is coming out in just a couple of weeks from the time that we're doing this recording. And I asked him that very question. I said, General McChrystal, you were at the top of the Iraq-Afghanistan war. How did you not, have people that were around you that were just yes men 
And he said, you know, you have to create that environment where people are willing to tell you the things that you don't want to hear and challenge your thoughts. So I think that what you just shared mm. right there is so, so good. I Todd, love it's that. been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed talking to you and I would love to have you back on in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Man, I love that conversation. Seriously, if you've not listened to his podcast, I definitely encourage you to pick that up, start listening to that. And then also his books are fantastic. He's a great writer, Motivation Code. Take it for yourself. It's probably 20, 25, 30 minutes or so to be able to take it. I really enjoyed kind of the conversation that we had today about a lot of things. Number one, whenever he gives the details about how much research actually went into the development of this assessment. I mean, it's not like just somebody's whim. And I also think whenever he said, hey, most of them were kind of trying to pin you into a corner, so to speak, people are not binary. I mean, think about your customers, right? When you reach out to somebody, somebody's not a hundred percent or zero. I mean, some people will be, right? But most need to actually be warmed up. And actually, I think that that's great. So when we're answering questions that are either all yes, no questions, it can kind of feel like, well, I'm not really sure. I wish that there was a third answer, like maybe. And so definitely encourage you to take a look at the assessment for you and also for your teams. I think it'd be great for like a quarterly planning retreat for an annual, semi-annual retreat with your team whenever you're doing a planning. I think take the time to kind of understand your team at a deeper level is always worth the time and the investment. I thought the point whenever I asked him around you know, his motivation fleeting, as some people say, he goes, well, you know, it's just a lack of people to really understand motivation because motivation is a gift. And then there are also sometimes those unhealthy behaviors in that conversation. We happen to be given the example with Nick Saban and what they call in the book, the shadow side and the chapter he refers to specifically around Maybe it's a section of one of the chapters, clean and dirty fuels. Highly recommend you diving into that. But in the end, my number one big takeaway from this podcast is to align task with motivation, aligning task and motivation, not only for you, but also for your teams, which means you have an understanding of what that is. We'll make sure we'll put the links, but make sure that you take a look at his books and his work at toddhenry.com and the assessment at motivationcode.com. And I want to thank our partners with the podcast to be able to bring guests like Todd and so many others, direct clicks, Club Capital, and Coach P Consulting. At the time that this episode is going to be dropped, we're getting towards the tail end of 2021. It's hard to believe that this year's already gone by. Has it been the year that you wanted? If it hasn't, you're probably starting to look into 2022. And by the way, if you're going to start planning for 2022, do that in December. Don't wait until January to do your planning. But if you want to be able to have a better year, you know you need to have better and more quality leads coming into your book of business. And you know that it's important for you to be able to have the right online presence. I mean, if we're not online these days, you are what Google says you are, right? I heard that recently. I thought that was so true. Work with the pros. Work with Direct Clicks. Visit them at directclicksinc.com. You know, I like to think about three things in all the businesses. What's the mindset that I need? What is the skill set that I need? And what is the tool set? I think about that for all the businesses and with the teams that we work with it should be the same for you. If you want to be able to get the mindset, the skill set and the tool set, it's going to be able to help you go to the next level. It's important you work with someone who's doing it at the highest level, especially in the insurance industry. Check out Coach P at coachpconsulting.com and work with someone and find out like twice a week He's going to be able to help you. You're going to hear from his team. People are getting it done in the trenches, not this ethereal high level stuff that you can actually bring it down to the ground. If you really want to learn the chops to be able to be top in your area, maybe it's just 
help set records in for yourself. Maybe it has nothing to do with you competing with other people. Maybe you do want to be the top in your area or in your market, or if you want to compete at the national level, it's important to develop yourself, to develop your team. None better than Coach P at coachpconsulting.com. Hey, make sure that you mention the Club Cabral Leadership Podcast to get 50% off your first month. And lastly, big thanks to Club Capital. If it wasn't for Club Capital, we wouldn't be able to have this podcast and have incredible guests like Todd on. Make sure you visit them at club.capital. They can help you with CPA services, tax prep, analytics. They're the best in the business. They're the largest in the country serving insurance agency owners just like you. If you want to book your no obligation demo, go to club.capital. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. We appreciate your loyalty. We appreciate you sharing this on social media, sharing it with your friends. It helps us to be able to get incredible guests. We try to blend it with not only authors and speakers and people who are specific to be able to help grow your insurance agency, grow your small business. So thank you so much. Until next episode, lead well. 